0: And if you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn with me to the book of Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis chapter 4. Today we will pick right up where we left off last week, continuing our study of the um, history of Cain and Abel, if you will. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16 this morning, and um, you can also find this on the insert that came alongside your bulletin along with a brief outline of today's passage. And if you were with us last week, you may remember we ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. After having his offering rejected, Cain became angry. We're told his countenance fell. It could also be translated depressed, downcast, heartbroken. God lovingly spoke to Cain and offered him a path to correction, He was to do that which was right or good. However, if he chose to continue down that path he was headed, sin was crouching at the door, waiting to devour him. It's important to remember our actions have consequences. Every time we take a path, we're choosing not to take another one. Cain was at a crossroad. He could listen to God correct his ways, trust in him by faith, and be well regarded. Or he could follow his own wishes and desires and fall down a path of sin and consequence. Does that decision sound familiar to you? This is essentially the same choice that Adam and Eve had to make, right? They could obey God and be blessed or pursue their own desires and face the consequences. We'll see this morning in our text that the story of Cain and Abel and the story of Adam and Eve are a lot more similar than we may think. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to our text and hear it from the Lord um, Himself. I do want to uh, go back just a bit to uh, begin in verse 6 so we get the context for this morning. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, "'Where is Abel, your brother?' He said, "'I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper?' And the Lord said, "'What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground,' It shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. May he place these truths upon all of our hearts and bless the hearing of it. Let us now go to him in prayer and ask that very thing for us. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we approach a heavy passage that concerns a heavy topic, life and death. For many of us, this is an issue that weighs on our hearts due to the sin of this world, due to the practices that are rampant in society today and even openly welcomed. We grieve At the thought of such an atrocious act. Father I pray that this morning you would first and foremost help us guard our hearts. For we all are prone to this type of behavior. And also Lord may you have mercy upon us. Through the teaching of your word. And hearing it may we live out its truth. And may this passage serve as a warning for each of us. May we repent of our sin and trust in you. This can only be done through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we ask this morning, O Lord, that through your Spirit you would sanctify us here and now, today. And we pray all of this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Studies reveal that people today are consuming videos, movies, and TV shows that depict violent acts at an ever-growing pace. In fact, one study showed that by the age of 18, an average American child will have witnessed 220,000 acts of brutal violence in their lifetime. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that, but there is one truth that is apparent We as a society are becoming more and more desensitized to extraordinary and extravagant events, such as strong acts of violence. Because of this, we need to be very careful this morning as we consider the situation we find in our text, because we're going to see it from a different standpoint than that of our original audience. At this point in the creation narrative, death has not really been a reality. Cain has become the first murderer. And as we see, and as we will see, the Bible takes a very strong stance on murder. God will include this explicitly in the Ten Commandments. Noah will receive God's law on taking the life of others in the covenant promise. And Jesus himself will speak on what it means to murder in our hearts. This is a topic the Bible is very clear on. Murder is an offense to God. But if we really boil it down to the root, murder is a form of sin. And all sin should be taken with the same seriousness, the same weight, the the same um, understanding of the consequences. The temptation to sin leads us to all sorts of godless acts. And in the case of Cain specifically, it was the act of murder. Excuse me. Well, this morning I want us to consider three consequences of the sin of Cain, recognizing that we're all sinners and we all deserve the full wrath of God. May this serve as a warning for us. First, I want us to see, and it's a slight change from your bulletin, that sin hardens our hearts. We see that in verses 8 through 10. Secondly, I want us to see that that sin brings separation and pain. There are consequences involved. We find that in verses 11 and 12. And then thirdly, I want us to see that sin drives us away from God. We find that in verses 13 to 16. And as we consider each of these today, we need to do so with fresh eyes. We need to do so with the mindset of the original audience. So with that in mind, let's begin by seeing how sin hardens our hearts. And we don't have the spoken words between Cain and his brother. You may have noticed that that is missing from our text But we should feel the weight as observers, even still. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And then, while they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. There's no mistaking what took place. God had just spoken to Cain, warning him about his anger and his desires. God told him that if he did not overcome his desires, they would consume him. Cain did not take the path of repentance though his anger needed an outlet and the outlet became his brother note how many times in this passage that is brought up Cain out with his brother he took the life of his brother acting out on and acting on anger in a hurtful way is a sin all too common to man However, as we mentioned earlier, this is the first time we see it take place. And and there is this this shock of newness. That such a thing is even possible. That it would even happen, and especially so in, in the family unit. We get very little commentary on the act itself. But the great deal of our text is this interaction between Cain and between God. God does not let us wonder, will God step in? Will God bring judgment? Will God interact with Cain? Or again, as we wondered with Adam and Eve, has God really taken a step back? Is he going to be hands off from this point as part of the, the sin of the fall that that God will just let things go? Well, we don't have to wonder these questions because immediately we transition to this conversation And and really, we, we say it's a conversation, but it is a judgment. It is a sentence. You should read this with the divine authority of God's voice bearing down upon Cain, weighing on him from heaven. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Can you imagine the weight of those words? God simply asks a question. But with this question, there is no doubt what is being asked, is there? Do you remember in your own life what it was like to get caught doing something wrong? Can you think about a time in which you thought you would get away with something only to realize you have been fully found out? How did you feel in that moment? Cain had to know why God was asking this. He had to realize at this point that he did not cover himself up as well as he thought he did this would be a great point for confession. This would be a great point for admitting to God his mistake. Cain is too much like his father, though. He responds to God with these words, I do not know. That's a lie. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, that's an interesting phrase. While it's true, Cain was likely not the keeper of his brother in the way that a shepherd was to a sheep, which is what he's insinuating here. Am I the shepherd to my brother? Um, He was his older brother. And in fact, biblical law will will state that a man's brother should be the first to assist him in times of trouble. See Leviticus chapter 25, uh, specifically verse 48 for that affirmation. There's a strong familial tie. There's a strong need for family, to care for family. It's what makes it so sweet when we consider ourselves the family of God, that we are a community together to help one another and to care for one another and love one another. But Cain is denying his brotherly duty to avenge his brother. And and in some ways we understand, right? He's himself the offender So, of course, he's not going to want to then be the avenger against the one who has offended his brother. But at the same time, please don't miss, Cain has committed this act of violence. He has lied about it to God and tried to shift the conversation away from himself completely. There there is no sign at this point of remorse. There is no sign of contrition. There is no sign of he has been... Disobedient to God. All of this really shows a hardening of the heart. Cain is so deep in his own sin that he's not taking responsibility or ownership of it. Again, who is he reflecting but his own father? You do have to give Adam a little credit. Um, He at least partially admits to what is going on. Did you eat of the tree? Well, the wife gave it to me. There is a little bit of a confession there, although it is still an underhanded confession. Cain at this point has said no mention, or made no mention of his brother, of his his sin. He doesn't confess anything. And within one generation, one generation, one removed from Adam and Eve, we see the negative effects of sin on mankind. We see the pattern that will continue and grow from here forward. We we see what sin is going to cause in the lives of people. Further and further and further willingness to sin, to not take responsibility, to not plead with God, trust God, hope in God, but to drive us away from Him. And God is not surprised. This does not um, come as a shock to God. It's not, well, I thought I had him, but um, mm, too bad. Because the Lord at this point, again, comes to Cain and, and this time makes it full aware of he knows the situation. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God reveals to Cain that he's not been fooled. His brother's blood acts as a witness against him. This will be important for in Jewish law, um, one can only be condemned if two witnesses see it take place. And God is saying that God is a witness and his own brother's blood is crying out to God from the ground itself, therefore constituting the two witnesses needed to affirm this is the right judgment against you, Cain. God warned him. God warned him that sin would devour him. And and this, this is significant for us today. I I don't want us to uh, to underappreciate this. While sin takes very light, or society takes very lightly the consequences of a great many of sins, lying, adultery, coveting, there does seem to be some ways in which murder is still socially unacceptable. With one exception. Um, That's the exception of abortion. Abortion is freely practiced and promoted under the guise of women's health when we should call it what it is. Convenient murder to rid oneself of the consequences of actions sexual partners chose to partake in. We as Christians must play no part in this. We must stand for life and fight against anyone or anything that seeks to take it away unjustly. Sin leads to the hardening of our hearts. Cain's responsibility was to avenge his brother, to make right before God what had been wronged. But he himself couldn't fulfill that duty, for he was full of sin. He was the offender, so he could not do his duty as his brother to be the defender. We all have the tendency in our hearts to hate. We all have selfish desires. And when those combine in the right way apart from the grace of God, we are all capable of wicked acts. Just like Cain. And the more we indulge in our sin, the easier it becomes to partake in it. It is a slippery slope. Dear Christians, let the story of Cain act as a warning to you. Let it warn you in your life. Let it warn your heart that we are all capable of the same types of wickedness and evil. Apart from the grace of God. Sin is an easy slope to follow. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. We must guard our hearts. Sin is crouching at the door of your heart. And it is ready to devour You, And it's not free. It comes with consequences. Look with me at our next section to see how the sin of murder brings separation and pain along with it. We note that God is swift to deliver judgment after the crime has been committed. And it is a wonder that God does not strike Cain dead. Instead, He has a different plan. Now, You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Commentators agree that this being cursed from the ground meant the earth itself would act as the prosecutor on God's behalf. Cain would now work it in vain. It would no longer yield to him in an abundance... The ground that has already felt the effects of the fall and its its yield has been reduced would be reduced further still for Cain. And this is an especially heavy judgment for two reasons. One, man was called to work the ground. Cain is receiving a punishment against his created purpose. Secondly, we know that Cain was a farmer. This is what he knew This is how he planned to provide for himself and for his family. He is being denied that which is natural to him, and that which is a blessing to him, and that which was meant to be a joy for him and for his life. Cain's sin cost him the ability to work in the way that he is familiar. Furthermore, he would have to always consider his brother as he looked to the ground and now relied on others to provide food for him. God says to him, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. The earth itself bore a reminder of Cain's sin and what he had done. Matthew Henry says of this judgment, God could have taken vengeance by an immediate stroke from heaven, perhaps by the sword of an angel or by a thunderbolt, but he chose to make the earth the avenger of blood to continue him upon the earth and not immediately cut him off and yet make this his curse. The earth is always near us. We cannot fly from it. If this is made the executioner of divine wrath, our punishment is unavoidable. It is sin, that is, the punishment of sin lying at the door. Cain found his punishment where he chose his portion and set his heart. And because of this, he would have to wander and remain a fugitive and suffer the fate of Perpetual scorn by all those he came in contact with. He would flee all the days of his life. Another commentator says on this, This then is Cain's fate. In some ways it is worse than death. It is to lose all sense of belonging and identification within a community. It's to become rootless and detached. You know, the Jewish people would develop their cultures around community. Everything was done together from worship to work to everyday life. And many Americans, we we follow this idea of individualism. It's kind of what defines us as Americans. Whereas this would have been a concept completely foreign to Jewish culture. We often did not develop the level of closeness and and familial um, dependency that uh, would have taken place in their society. To have to wander from your family and live fleeing was a heavy punishment indeed. And so we need to remember that for what it was. And at the same time we also need to recognize the punishment fits the crime. The crime was murder. Death of a child of God. Sin has its consequences. It causes separation and pain by its very nature. Think about it. If you sin against your neighbor, while he may forgive you, the relationship you once had will be strained at some point or at some level. Sin tends to drive a wedge between people. And if this is the case for us in our day-to-day relationships, how much more do you think it's the case between us and God? God is holy. God is perfect and blameless and righteous. We cannot come into his presence as we are sinful or we will face his complete and total wrath and this this is why the gospel is so necessary this is why God spoke to Cain asking him to repent and turn from his wickedness God knew that only a truly repentant heart could live rightly before him without God there is no hope of holy living but in Christ we are called holy Not because of us, but because of Him. We must deal with the problem of sin in our lives if we ever want to live close to God and close with one another. But let's take a moment further and consider how sin separates us from God. Let's really feel the weight of this judgment and this act of sin as we see its conclusion in the life of Cain, look with me at verses 13 to 16. To have to wander and be a fugitive wasn't the only sentence that God gave him. Cain, at this point, finally speaks up, although he has yet to repent, he has yet to confess his sin, and he has yet to show any sign of remorse. Instead, he speaks up at this point because he's deemed the punishment unfair. And before we look into that, let me just say for a second, this is not true repentance. I am sorry because I got caught and now will face consequences I'm uncomfortable with is not repentance. That's very different than I have offended you, O holy God, my creator and savior. I deserve your wrath and punishment. And if you choose to give it to me, then so be it. But I need you to forgive me. That's repentance. Repentance. What Cain does is not repentance, and and unfortunately today, too many people misunderstand that. So I want to make sure that, that we consider that, because here's what he says. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer, and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain recognizes he's the recipient of God's displeasure, but whose fault is it? Did you catch it in the passage? You have driven me. I will now be a wanderer because of your judgment, because of your punishment, because of your actions against me, O God. He says that this is unfair, that this sentence is too great. And the level of irony here is astonishing. Why is it too great? because someone may hear about what I have done and try to kill me for it. Do you see that? Do you you hear what he's saying? Let's, Let's drive this even further. Who are the people on the earth right now? Who are the people alive at this point? They're his brothers and sisters. So what Cain is saying is, God, you're being unfair because the brothers and sisters of the brother I just murdered might be upset that I murdered him, and I don't want them to retaliate against me. That's his confession. This does bring up an interesting note um, that I'd love to discuss with you uh, more, uh, but where does everybody else come from? If if we're reading this as as a minute-by-minute playback, we're left wondering who is Cain afraid of, Well, Calvin believes that um, a long period of time has passed uh, between the birth of Cain and Abel and the act of murder. Um, They seem to be at at an adult stage, Um, remembering for them lifespans could reach about a thousand years um, at this point. So um, the world has been filled, at least partially, uh, by the children of Adam and Eve at this point. This would also make sense why the very next verse we'll read, uh, Lord willing, next week he has a wife. Um, where did she come from? Well, it would have been through that time period um, between the birth of Cain and Abel um, and this moment right here. But that's where they come from. that That's the people he's afraid of, his own siblings. And we get something even, even more interesting still God doesn't wish that Cain would perish. God, in some ways, answers his request. Lord, I can't can't be killed for what I've done. That's too unfair. God puts a mark on him. And we don't know what this mark is, but I don't believe this was out of mercy. I don't believe this was God saying, you know, that was a little much, Cain. I was being a bit unfair. You're exactly right. Um, and by I, I mean, I'm agreeing with Calvin that says this I have said nothing was granted to Cain for the sake of favor, but for the sake of opposing in cruelty and unjust violence. And therefore, Moses now says a mark was set upon Cain which should strike terror into all who saw it, because they might see as in a mirror the tremendous judgment of God against bloody men. As Scripture does not describe what kind of mark it was, commentators have conjectured that his body came tremulous. It may suffice for us that there was a visible token which should repress in the spectator the desire and the audacity to inflict injury. This was part of the judgment. This was an act so that all those who saw him were struck by fear of God and fear to never follow in his footsteps to cast this sin, to act in this way. The section ends with Cain leaving the presence of the Lord and settling in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain is driven further from Eden. We should see this as a progression, a movement away from that garden. We should also recognize that it is sin that drives us from God. He's wrong in his assessment God is not pushing him away because God is being cruel. His sin drove him from God. His sin brought these consequences. His actions led to this judgment. And this, as I mentioned just a moment ago, is why the gospel is so necessary for our lives today. While the sin of murder is vile... And it should receive the strictest punishment imaginable. Even it is not beyond the shed blood of Christ. Many of us when hearing a sermon of this nature. um, Conclude well as long as I don't take the life of someone else I should be fine. No murder, no abortion, check. And I can skip over that one next time I'm doing my ten commandment obedience checklist. I don't have to stop. At the sixth commandment. And that would be fine if the New Testament hadn't been written. Jesus, recognizing that we're all prone to thinking that way, says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 22, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Notice the language he used there. Think it's a coincidence that Jesus uses brotherly language to describe the consequence of the sin of murder? Or do you think Jesus might have had in mind this very moment back in history where Cain took the life of his brother and faced these consequences you see, while I hope that none here would be capable or willing to intentionally take the life of someone else unjustly, we are all prone to anger and wishing harm upon others. And Jesus is quick to point out that both deserve the same punishment. They really are the same offense. We need to read the story of Cain and respond in humility. We need to ask God to forgive us for not loving our neighbor as ourselves or loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because we're all selfish. But just as much as we are those things, all that does is point to the sweetness of Christ. All that does, with all of our sin, and all of its wickedness, and all of its evil, it just reminds us how much more Christ's love is. If you're here today, and you have murdered either in your heart or physically, please know that there's forgiveness. There is hope in the gospel. Don't believe me? Spend some time in Hebrews 11. You're going to come across a man named Moses. Just so happens to be the same guy that wrote the passage that we're reading this morning. He's in the section often called the Hall of Faith. Then go to Exodus, I guess around chapter 2, and read about that guy named Moses. Moses. What was one of his first acts as an adult? Murder. Intentionally, willfully taking the life of someone else. One of the most faithful men in Scripture, the man we're trusting right now through God's providence and through God's Holy Spirit to deliver to us his divine word, is a murderer. That's not to make light of this sin, but that's to say that Moses was forgiven by trusting in God by faith just as much as we are forgiven by trusting in Christ by faith, even for acts such as these. That does not minimize them, but that does demonstrate the magnificence and glory of our God. Guard your hearts. Take seriously the consequence of sin. Flee from it at all costs. And when you do fall, confess it. Repent. Turn from it. For God is quick to forgive those who place their hope and trust in him. And remember in the story of Cain, Cain's sin found him out. Cain's sin came with consequences. God was the judge and acted them out. But it was not God that forced his hand. It was not God that caused him to strike his brother. It was his sin. And his only hope from here forward is to repent. And as we continue to look in God's Word, we'll see how this story unfolds. But for you, there can be forgiveness. And my hope and prayer for you is that you know that today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as I know the heart of my brothers and sisters here, on the one hand, I know that we do look at this sin with as the wickedness that it is. We do recognize the weight of it. And and I pray that we do in our hearts. Seek to avoid it at all costs. And in fact to promote life. But at the same time father. As I know my own heart. I know that I'm prone to it. I know that I'm not removed from this ability. I have all of the tools needed. I'm capable. But it's only by your grace. That I do not carry it out. Forgive us, O Lord. Forgive us when we disobey. Forgive us when we make much of our sin because we're making much of ourselves. Help us to remember that there's forgiveness of Christ, even for great sins such as these. And may we learn from the story of Cain and Abel that sin comes with a heavy, heavy price. In fact, it was so heavy, Christ had to die so that it might be cleansed. Lord, we delight in the good news of the gospel. We delight in the hope of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in you today and every day. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.